Welcome to the Technology Lab, presented by CPA Practice Advisor, with your hosts, Randy Johnston and Brian Tankersley. Welcome to today's Technology Lab. I'm Randy Johnston with my co-host, Brian Tankersley. We're so pleased to have a guest with us today, Jason Rickelson, who is the founder and CEO of BookKeep. We've wanted Jason on the show for some time. We've talked about his platform and the automation that it provides to you for many years in our K2 courses. We believe that these type of tools are critical to the way that you run your practice and can scale the practice for client accounting services. Now, as it turns out, you know that we've been talking about tech stacks and how to optimize your tech stack and how to minimize the number of tools that you have involved. We think bookkeep may be a portion of that. Now, as opposed to the way we sometimes do the technology lab where we talk you through you know, the features and the pricing and all that stuff, I thought it was far better to have an insightful discussion with Jason to really get us to understand what they're trying to accomplish. So you you will discover that their automation not only does accounting automation and sales tax automation, but it also pulls in specialty industry summaries, uh, e-commerce and franchises and restaurants and retail, uh, and especially items like cannabis. So again, I don't want to talk too long on on the introduction, but uh, I'm so excited to have you here, Jason. Welcome. Thank, Thank you so much. Yeah. So, you know, uh, obviously this platform that you've built is a very interesting piece. Just talk to us a little bit about your vision uh, Mm -hmm. when you decided to create this. I know you're one of the co-founders. So how did this thing come into being? Well, uh, it's a long, it's actually most of my career, which actually started at Pricewaterhouse on the, on the, not on the accounting side, but on the, the software consulting side. But I've always been in accounting software somehow, one way or the other. I, I worked on a trading desk and built accounting software. I started a retail store. And then that retail store started a point of sale company called Shopkeep. Shopkeep uh, was eventually sold to Lightspeed. I think we had 30,000 some uh, you know, coffee shops, wine stores, a bunch of you know small businesses using that accounting tool, which is a point of sale system. And then after that business, um, I started just doing the books of my wine store that I still owned. And realize like all of this can be automated. I don't even necessarily need to have a bookkeeper. But then, so I started a bookkeeping firm, essentially looking to automate all the workflows of bookkeeping for small business. Um, I came to learn that that's really hard to scale when you have to deal with clients. And so then we focus on one piece that's completely missing. So there's, there's automation for bill pay. There's automation for document management, you know, invoices turning into bills. There's automation uh, for payroll. The where one place where there's not automation is proper revenue accounting. Getting that data, it seems so simple. Getting the data out of Shopify, getting the data out of Square, getting the data out of MindBody, getting the data out of Big Commerce, properly summarizing it into daily summaries, and then properly doing daily sales reconciliation to your payments. That is something that most bookkeepers don't understand how to do properly. So they book deposits as revenue, which is wrong, especially wrong since deposits are now net of fees, net of loans, net of everything. So, and they don't understand. So they book it as revenue, but, and usually they just leave it to the end of the month or they deal with it next month, or they put in a single adjust, adjusting entry at the end of the month for all the sales, but they're not really making sure they got paid right. 
or they're not making sure that they book the feeds from Afterpay, that they book the fees from PayPal. And oh, wait, PayPal's withholding this money. I didn't realize that. So I've been booking the revenue too low. Like this stuff seems, um, and it's so disparate because there's so many platforms that people use. And so anyway, we focused on that space. And I believe that there's definitely an app out there that'll connect Shopify to your QuickBooks. There's an app that'll connect, you know, Amazon seller. I don't believe that any of the platforms are very much very different. It's we think of ourselves as a revenue accounting platform. And what you were saying earlier about how you don't want to have too many tools you have to learn because you can't learn that many tools. We really we have over 55 apps that we work with, sales apps and payment apps, so that you can only work, you only have to work with Bookkeep. Whether you're doing e-commerce, you're doing restaurant, you're doing even cannabis point of sale. We really are pretty strong across all those. And we've come to realize that, you know, this is really a space that a lot of people don't understand and, and is really ripe for automation um, to pull all this data in and summarize it. Yeah, it sounds uh, wonderful. And by the way, uh, listeners, the, this platform we've known to work well for quite some years. So, you know, having 55 integrations is is a big deal. And you can hear with Jason's background uh, coming from Big Four, I think he understands the accounting side of it pretty cold. And one of the things I actually discussed this week with a major trade uh, accounting trade editor was so many of the developers out there right now don't understand accounting. They know how to program these things, but they don't really understand it. And, you know, a call out to a, a person that I've worked with for a long time, uh, Doug Sleeter, when we were evaluating products that could interface to the QuickBooks ecosystem, we always tore them apart on getting the accounting right. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's evolved well beyond that. I think correctly so, Jason, your product takes advantage of the APIs of these various uh, t platforms that you hook up to and then uh, automates and summarizes it that way. Now, I understand that uh, you basically are pushing through summarized transactions, but just give us a little bit of the mechanics behind it, because I think it's important for our listeners to to understand what you're trying to get done that way. Yeah, the the that problem about developers not understanding accounting is the other problem that we're solving because often even you know if bookkeep didn't exist and you're an accountant that you need to work with say MindBody or another one that's has pretty poor reporting as WooCommerce, you don't you log in to look for a summary report even if you wanted to do a monthly summary and there's no reporting for that. So you're going to have to download a spreadsheet, create pivot tables, do rollups in order to post that data. And that is because these developers, they're not selling to accountants and they're not thinking about accountants when they build their software because they're building sales software and payment software to sell more, to get paid more. You know, the accountants are always the last thought. So we suck all of those orders, all the transactions, as much of the payment financial data, whether there's loans with Square, there's loans with Shopify, there's loans with PayPal, all of that data comes into our system in detail and we summarize it into proper daily accrual summaries. If you sold something on Friday, we book it on Friday. Shopify won't pay you until Monday or Tuesday. And by the way, they'll pay you a little bit on Monday and a little bit on Tuesday for that Friday, but we will book your sales on Monday and help you match that Monday and Tuesday deposit to that Friday sales. We do the same thing for Amazon seller, which only deposits every two weeks but we book daily summaries. So you know how you're doing and you can do proper comparisons in your accounting system to the previous, you know, previous periods, et cetera, based on those days. Um, 
And that's really, you know, it seems very simple, but it's a really important thing to have accurate revenue and have it daily. A lot of people have actually started using our tool with other dashboard tools because they know that the data is going to get into QuickBooks and then they can put a dashboard on top of QuickBooks to show, you know, yesterday's sales to their clients. So, I mean, essentially that that's really what we're doing and we're trying to do it with as many platforms as possible. And then the other thing I'll say is we also make it easier for you to request access to that system. I mean, I was just on with another accountant this week, just yesterday. And I'm like, do you have access to their DoorDash and to their Uber Eats? And she's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, how are you going to book all the fees and all the, uh, you know, the uh, advertising costs that they're taking out of your deposits? She's like, oh, I better get access to that. So we make it easy. We, DoorDash and Uber Eats, we don't have good connectivity to yet because they don't have an API, but we try and make it easy for a Shopify, for a WooCommerce where you can request the owner makes the connection easily because that's another problem that bookkeepers deal with is just, I don't have access to the data. And that's what leads to booking deposits as revenue because as a bookkeeper, you're way overworked. I don't have access to the data. I got to get the books closed. I'm just going to do what I can do with the bank feed. So we try and help with those problems as well. Yeah, that makes sense, Jason. And and boy, did I hear you loud and clear. Uh, having dealt with a lot of the e-commerce platforms, the WooCommerce uh, reporting, well, uh, it, pathetic. I was going to use another word and I realized that we're on the air, so I shouldn't do that. But, you know, in any case, uh, and this is generally true across a lot of these different environments. And so, you know, you called out several examples along the way of, of these types of issues, but the ability to get the information daily is another mantra that I've lived for 30 to 40 years, honestly. And uh, both Brian and I, for the last 30 years, have been very process-centric. So if you think about this data flowing automatically, that you can get your workflows worked out so you're not having to touch the data as much, if at all, really not at all is the best answer, uh, and that you can really have accurate revenue recognition daily, to me, yep. that's a big deal. Because uh, uh, I think for at least... 20 years in our client accounting services recommendations, we've recommended daily reconciliations. So Brian. So, so I was just going to ask, I guess, you know, I noticed you have a number of different industries, you know, and, and franchises and retail and accounting you know, and e-commerce are all industries that are familiar. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I would ask you a little bit about the cannabis accounting, you know, because I find it I find it fascinating that we still don't let the cannabis uh, dispensaries use our banking system. So when there is no bank feed, how do you automate? And you know, are you doing work with crypto and things like that? How's it working? Um, we don't do anything with crypto, but uh, cannabis dispensaries do get to have bank accounts with um, community banks and local banks. Obviously, we don't have anything to do with that part. Um, but they are definitely underserved, but they tend to have accounting teams. They tend to have pretty high volume dollars. A lot of it's cash, um, but we connect to six or seven cannabis POS systems and automate daily summaries for them, which has been a really big help to those accounting teams. Um, and also doing it properly, like QuickBooks Point of Sale used to do it as daily summaries, um, because that's another space where, you know, just as an interesting example, one of those cannabis point of sale systems, we were we couldn't get the line items on to match up to the totals. And I found out that they were they were going out to five digits 
and then rounding the totals once they added everything. So the line items were going to five digits. And then once they added it all up, they went to two digits. So nothing ever would match. And I'm like, guys, you gotta, you gotta go to two digits on every line item. If there's two of this product, you gotta round to two digits on the line before you add it up. And they clearly don't understand that OCD and CPA go together. Right. Yeah. So like things like that, you know, we always have to make adjusting entries for those problems. And actually, I believe that our um uh I believe that our my head of product has been pretty clear that he's finding we work with some pretty big Shopify stores too that are doing um that you know 50 million, 100 million dollars in revenue. And we're finding that our numbers actually are more accurate than Shopify's reporting. Um, Shopify is really good rolled up summary reporting generally, but um, when it comes to multi-location with Shopify and you're using Shopify POS, our numbers and you're doing returns between locations, our numbers tend to be more accurate. Um, it is gets really complicated in there, but um, but we're learning a lot. So in it, with with cannabis, with multi-location cannabis, actually we we do that as well. Um, you know, essentially we're doing the same thing, but, but not, not in uh, crypto. We have, I don't really know how to do, deal with crypto. <laughs> okay. So, so you mentioned, you just mentioned 50 to hundred million dollars in e-commerce here. Um, what's kind of your sweet spot at what's the range of, uh, the range of business sizes, uh, that bookkeep really fits well for? I, I do think it's it's at, at least a million dollars, a million to two dollars in revenue a year, up to about a hundred million. That's where they're still on a shop, you know, off-the-shelf software tools. Once they go over a hundred million, they tend to be on custom platforms, you know, custom e-commerce platforms. They probably already have in-house staff to write, you know, accounting tools. Although I I still think the accounting teams, even at those large businesses, are not as valued. <laughs> you know, I don't think the engineers get said, hey, go help the accounting team automate their process very often, even at those large businesses. Um, but essentially, yeah, the two to two to hundred million dollars, obviously chains, we're getting into some franchises where the franchises have separate point of sale systems at each location. Um, and so we can help them solve some of those issues. Um, and of course, you know, we're really trying to get better with DoorDash, Uber Eats, and some of those delivery apps that are um, really a, a huge hard, hardship for uh, accounting. Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of where we fit. The smaller, smaller business, you know, under a million, definitely we have a lot of those, but they tend to not understand the value of accrual accounting and or want to pay for it or, you know, but but essentially, yeah, over a million to about a hundred. So if in fact the e-commerce business volume in the United States is 3.9 million, it's projected to go to about 5.9 million over the next two years, 23 to, to 25 uh, is basically the look. So this e-commerce volume, one to a hundred million, it looks like you've got a, a lot of opportunity there. Yep. Uh, likewise, the franchise operations, you know, I, I could not uh, locate good numbers to back that up, but franchise growth continues to be relatively strong. So, you know, that's another successful business model. Uh, it sounds like with your current segmentation, you've actually got the majority of what I'd call the main street businesses of the U.S. covered? In other words, the restaurants, the retail, the franchise, the e-commerce. Uh, wow. You know, so that part of it's pretty interesting. Now, as you scale up and the way Brian and I have talked about this for a while, just so we have similar uh uh, terminology. We've actually talked about it as bookkeeping at the low end. 
a controllership in the middle and CFO services in the upper end. And it seems to me that you're automating a lot of what would be the bookkeeping transactional pieces and the controllership pieces. So how is, uh, you know, bookkeep working to uh, train these industry groups, transition into the specialization, uh, help people understand how to uh, uh, handle the work uh, instead of segregating by the transaction cycle? Yes. So we are, we're big into training as, as we, you know, in the early days, we learned that a lot of people don't uh, understand daily sales reconciliation. So we've actually built a training program into our product. There's a five course, uh, five uh, step training program takes about an hour. And so we teach the basics of accrual accounting for retail, daily sales reconciliation to, to payment deposits. Uh, and then we go into how bookkeep automates that. And we think it's very important to think about, you know, specializing one of your team members, if possible, in this part of revenue accounting, because it's not that it's complex or specialized, but what happens is, how do I get that report from DoorDash? How do I, you know, I need to now connect uh, Amazon seller. What are the intricacies? You know, we, we, we normalize a lot of it, but still it, there's just little things Amazon doesn't connect you know, differently than Shopify connects, like those little things that to train that across your whole team tends to be, you know, not worth it. So if you can specialize one person to handle all the making the connections, getting all the revenue data in, but also even just to be mindful of, okay, you're getting a deposit from Stripe. That means that you're probably using another front end sales platform because Stripe is not usually your front end sales platform. Ask the client. It's most likely WooCommerce. It's mo it could be Etsy. Um, you know, Etsy, although does their own deposits. So just sort of understanding, like to make sure you're not missing any of the data that you need, because the bank will give you indications of what revenue tools they're using, but you still have to ask some questions sometimes. And, um, and, and just sort of training in that so that maybe one person can focus on that. Like you might have someone in payroll, just doing payroll and working with the payroll tools that, you know, one person who can really focus on revenue accounting and work with bookkeep to do that work. And then we also also have the sales tax feature add-on as well that can handle the sales tax automation and payment and filing. Mm -hmm. And as I'm listening to you, most of our listeners don't know that I actually wrote point of sale software myself for fast food restaurants. So I will not name the national chains because you would know them right away. And uh, it was interesting to me as the programmer to learn about the counter, the drive-through, the back office operations, the way we segmented revenue, even uh, many other pieces on that. So unfortunately, a lot of accountants don't have that background in terms of the costing and, you know, the payouts out the back door for, you know, produce delivery and so forth. So as I'm thinking about these various uh, industries, I can see that your team almost has to train accounting teams and bookkeeping teams about the methodologies used in these various segments, if you would. Yes, which which is hard. And actually, there's there's a funny funny thing that I learned cannabis because they use so much cash, they pay for their invoices at the door in cash to get the cash out of the out of the cash safes. And yep. so their, their point of sale systems are actually built to 
receive inventory and mark that payment came out of the drawer for that inventory, which most point of sale systems don't have that. You can do an expense payout in most point of sales, but not actually receiving an invoice against cash or cash. So um, that was something interesting to learn because there's a lot of cash that flows through there. But we, but again, we we can't. We're not as most accountants know. They don't get always access to the operations team who are doing the things and they end up seeing the results of whatever happened in operations. And most accountants will be like, I've tried to tell them to do it this way and they just don't listen to me. So we do the best we can. We try to make it as easy as possible in terms of making connections and, and how things flow. And we try to educate as much as possible. It's still, I, I often say it's still, when I talk to CEOs or you know business owners, I, I just did it at a meeting last week. I say, please value your accounting team. Give They are, they are very valuable, important people, and they're often very undervalued in, in your operation because most people just think they'll just deal with it. But um, a lot of times they're, they're not giving them the help that they need. Yeah, that so, makes a great deal of sense. Go ahead, Brian. So, yeah, so Jason, I, you know, if I'm thinking about your average, uh, your average bookkeeping operation these days, you know, some of them really have their act together from a tech stack perspective, and some of them really have a long way to go from a tech stack perspective. And so assuming somebody is one of those that's kind of a laggard and knows they have a problem and knows they want to get better, um, how would you, you know, how would you have them get started and how would you have them get off base and start moving down this road toward better automation and, um, and more uh, more consultative work as opposed to just transaction entry. It, it getting it's a really good question. It's a really hard question. I, I sometimes I don't feel when we talk to accounting firms, I don't always see that there's a person in there that's you. You have to have a mindset of always improving your daily work. When I worked on the reason that I I'm for whatever reason, obsessed with automating things since the beginning of my career. When I worked on the trading desk, I had to gather a bunch of numbers every morning, put it in a spreadsheet and distribute it to the team. I would spend five minutes automating one part of that that would save me you know, another five minutes the next day. So, um, and that mindset, not everyone has. And I, I don't always see it you know, with CPAs and accounts, they don't always thinking that way. And you, but so then you need to hire someone who is, automation, workflow, process. I mean, that's what we learned at Pricewaterhouse, process-oriented, and, and it has that mindset. They don't have to be an accountant, but they have to understand numbers and data and understand how to implement tools that can help you um, automate daily workflows. And it's probably, yeah, it's probably a hire that you wouldn't think to hire in your firm. They don't even have to know accounting, but they need to understand process, software implementation. Um, and it's not necessarily an IT person who just does desktop stuff. It's really it's sort of a different mindset. I, it is a hard question because um, if I knew I would be recommending it to, to a lot of these firms and a lot of these firms are so overworked that they just can't even pick their head up. Okay, but but as I'm drilling it, you know, I know at the enterprise level, we're talking about, when you say process orientation, you're talking about SAP and Oracle Business Suite and Workday and that other tools like that. What are we talking, you know, what, what are the equivalent tools that people use for process automation outside of the world of where it will keep steps? Well, to get um, Zapier for sure, Zapier, I built our product on Zapier in the early days and it's very solid and runs extremely well. Um, using Airtable, you can build a lot of process flows with Zapier and Airtable. 
um, in, in your firm that can be customized exactly to how you want to do your workflow. Um, there's a lot of workflow management software to run your firm. Those get a little tricky because everyone, they don't always jive with how people want to run things. That's why I say Airtable and Zapier give you more flexibility. Internally, we use those tools. All of my marketing automation, all of our stuff that's not related to the product runs in Zapier and Airtable. Our billing, our, our billing system too. Um, you know, and because it's completely customizable and, and, and being able to implement those type of tools. And, and, you know, if you're even more sophisticated, you could put retool on top of that, which allows you to build front end systems on top of those databases. So those are some tools that are not expensive, that are easy to use at the small scale. And it, it does take someone who's pretty technically minded to implement those as well. Um, but, uh, but there's a lot of great tools out there that don't cost a lot of money. Very cool. Well, and, and that's always been a concern of mine that the uh, with this process orientation that you and I are talking about, because, you know, I saw it 20 years ago in, in enterprises and you saw it at PwC when we were doing enterprise consulting. And, you know, it's it's I I, I feel like sometimes we, we have a lot of small businesses that have never seen the way these enterprises work, uh, that there's a whole mindset shift that has to take place. And so I appreciate you sharing the ways, you know, some of those some of those uh, some of those things there, uh, because there really is a better way to work with more automation. Uh, you just haven't seen it in small business before because it hasn't scaled down that far yet. Exactly, exactly. And and it, it's, it's a hard thing to train, though. It, it is a hard thing to train, but it is something that's important that people have to think about as part of being a business owner and that you have to think about automation and train, learn it. And, and figure out how to implement and or bring people in to help implement it. But you have to own it too. You have to just change your mindset as the founder of, of a business anyway. Th that makes good sense, Jason. And, you know, with that um, bit of background, I'm just going to uh, observe a couple of things for you. And then I'd like to get your reaction to it because, you know, there's been a, a heavy promotion of client accounting services across the accounting profession and the bookkeeping entities in North America over the last five to 10 years. Uh, Brian and I have probably been promoting that for 20 to 30 years loosely, which seems hard to believe at this point, but it was in the in the 90s that we started. Yeah, so We actually had dinosaurs as an outsourcing option in the early days. <laughs> so, you know, as I think about the, the uh, I'll call it named competitors like the pilots and the benches and some of these other entities that are out there. Uh, you know, our, our thinking has always been that we want accounting firms to specialize, localize perhaps, or verticalize and so forth. But I think the magic of a lot of these competitors might be their workflows. And uh, just give us your insights, if you could, in, in that area, please. Yeah, I think that a lot of small firms, I mean, no matter what, accounting is some either local or specialized, that you have to talk to the clients, you have to answer their questions and work with them to get their books done, to advise them. That's not going to go away. But in order to do that, you can't be spending all your time doing manual data entry. And these firms like a Bench and Pilot, and there's a couple others that have received venture funding as well, they are specializing internally. They have teams that do the payroll work and know the payroll softwares, or they have their own custom payroll softwares in-house 
They have teams that are just doing bank feed data and are using AI to classify that data so that no humans have to do it. Or maybe there is a human who validates that data and teaches the AI platform how to book that data based on their rules. And then they also, I know that Bench, for instance, connects to Shopify and Square as well and pulls that revenue data in in order to book those entries as well. So these companies are starting to specialize and then they have an account manager that works with the client, but the account manager has all the data at their fingertips. And if there's an issue, the teams fix the data and the account managers have the data there at their fingertips. And I think that that's probably the proper model for the future where there's an underlying level of data uh, workflows underneath that's mostly automated. Maybe there's some human checking, but those humans are specialized in, I only do revenue data. I only do bank feed data and I can validate that the AI is doing it right. And so that the books get closed accurately. And also, I mean, we're building ourselves internally reconciliation tools that will scan through all our entries and make sure everything's matching up. If anything's missing or anything's not matching, then we might have to go rerun those entries from those source tools to get the data in. And they're using similar tools like that too, I think, to get the books done as close to the close as possible. I'm sorry, as close to the close of the month as possible. And then the account manager can work with the client and advise. And they're doing it for $299 a month. So you have that competition coming as a small accounting firm um, you know, out there. Granted, they don't have the best customer service, you know, I feel, and that's where the small firms can, can succeed. But the small firms have to take into, they have to start using this type of data workflow underneath so that they can have that great connection with the client and advise the local clients. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, and that's kind of what we're trying to enable with our platform. Yeah. So just one summary number. Thank you for that. Uh, a summary number from a summer survey. So this is kind of hot off the presses in CPA firms, in the United States in client accounting services right now, 64% are reporting growth about one third see the same year over year, 22 to 23 and 3% saw a decline. I was surprised to see any decline, but right. you know, it could be changes of systems or whatever that caused that. But you know, this is a pretty high growth area, but it's also going to be competitive. And the word that I've used around it, Jason, is this is quickly going to become commoditized. You know, a lot of firms have seen this as a high profit, high growth area. And I'm somewhat concerned that it could, uh, well, competition could enter that would be uh, using unwise pricing strategies and drive the profitability out. So what are you seeing anything like that? Not yet, but uh, I can certainly see what you're saying. I mean, th the books have to get done. There's, there's no fully automated way that, you know, to get access to the revenue from whatever, you know, you have to get access to the platforms. There's someone who has to interface with the client to get access to the different systems that they need to do the data workflows. Um, but then it can, it, you know, specialized industries will have specialized chart of accounts and it might not fit across a general, but there's certainly um, in the future going to be that commoditization, I believe, but we're not close to a head. Uh, it's still pretty hard to onboard a new client. <laughs> and there's always a mess to clean up when you do. And it's that part is harder to automate as well. Yeah, I am appalled at the mess, particularly in small to medium uh, accounting systems that almost all accountants inherit. 
And uh, I do put a little bit of a blame back on the platform development, you know, not having enough controls in there. But here's where probably ease of use has trumped accuracy. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the same problem we have around security. Ease of use has trumped security and and so on. Well, so so Jason, you know, if I'm thinking about if I'm a partner at a firm and I'm trying to figure out who to hire, when to hire them, and, and what kinds of skills I need to implement this process orientation where somebody thinks more like a digital plumber and less like somebody who's going to actually get out with a shovel and do the work. Um, kind of explain to me how the higher, how the skills are different and and what kinds of profiles tend to be successful with this kind of thing. That, yeah, I like the digital pl- plumber reference. It it's going to be someone that came out of potentially management consulting firm. I mean, it's true. I forget because I haven't mentioned it for so long, but Pricewaterhouse definitely trained me. They, you know, this was back in the 90s, but I went to training for three months to learn process, to learn software development. Um, and and that influenced what, you know, is happening here, of course. So looking for people out of consulting, out of um, not necessarily a software engineer, they're not always process oriented necessarily, but they tend to be. Um, but it has to be a mix of understanding, you know, it's it's a product manager or a systems analyst type person. We used to call them systems analysts, right? Um, and then became product managers. Um, someone like that, a product manager type background could also be very good. They, they do tend to understand what the client's needs, think about scale. Um, those are the type of people that you, you might want to hire uh, internally be, to be an internal product manager because these tools that you're implementing in your firm, the clients are the people in your firm. So having a product manager mindset in terms of, is this the right tool? Let's evaluate the needs. Let's evaluate how you're using it. Is it going to work at scale? That's probably a, a better background than a, a software engineer or, um, you know, or an CPA type background. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that because you know, you you're at the edge of this, and you're you're leading this transition. And uh, you know, having been through the transition to process orientation and data flow data flows in enterprise, uh, I think you already see a lot of the mistakes that that small and mid-sized businesses are going to make as they implement these kinds of strategies. So that's very cool, Randy. Any other um, any other thoughts here? Well, actually, Brian, I was just going to ask, uh, you know, if you had any uh, observations or final questions for Jason, because just like many of our other interviews, they could go on for an hour and we would continue to learn, I think, almost from each other because we're both in the thick of it with, you know, slightly different views. But any other questions, observations from your side? I I would just say a delightful conversation today. Um, thank you for your time and thank you for making yourself available. Um, this is, um, you know, I, I hope you'll, I hope you'll give us the ability to reach out to you at some point in the future to try to uh, kind of follow up on these trends as things change. And I hope similarly, you'll reach out to us when we see monumental events that we need to talk about, uh, on the technology lab that affect our, our listeners. You know, we, uh, you know, really appreciate your leadership in this area and uh, again appreciate you making time with both of us today thank you thank you Glad to be so, here. so jason any final parting thoughts on you know what's happening with bookkeep what's happening in cas what's happening with automation just again you're in the thick of it 
what would you want our listeners to take away as maybe some action items or final observations? Um, I, I am in the, I am in the thick of it. Uh, I would say we've covered most of it. It's, it's really, it's really just getting into the proper mindset that automation is different than, you know, software evaluation, automation platforms. There aren't that many out there, really. Uh, I consider us an automation platform, you know, for this very specific piece of accounting. Um, But, you know, thinking, will it scale? You want to be able to build a larger firm, um, especially if the price is going to go down, that that's totally manageable um, so that you can increase your margins on the um, advisory. So, um, implementing these type of tools and, and, you know, we don't have to go into the hiring issues that everybody knows they're having. And, and these type of tools I think can help, uh, with those issues. Yeah. And you're, you resonated right there at the end with me too, because my belief is that the path forward is going to be advisory. And Brian has said for decades at this point with, you know, uh, all due respect on the, his observation, whoever has the accounting information observes the opportunity first Mm -hmm. and so you know to me this idea that we can get daily accounting done accurately and be change from a reactionary accountant to a proactive advisor is really the magic of where i think things have to go but i think think honestly you know the the trick that i think you're starting to solve for that we've wanted for a long time is real-time data without real-time work and you know if we can get to that holy grail I, i think life becomes a lot more interesting for us as advisors because now we're dealing with the weather as it is not as how it was yesterday yeah, or six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, again, a delight to spend some time with you this morning. We appreciate you being on the Technology Lab. Listeners, we'll be with you again in a future session. Good day. Thank you for sharing your time with us. We'll be back next week with a new edition of the Technology Lab, brought to you by CPA Practice Advisor.